0: Good morning, church. Uh, This morning's scripture is um, Psalm 139, and it comes from the uh, Common English Bible. Now, if you're like me, um, and this is a very familiar piece of scripture, if you're like me, too many times I take scripture for granted. I memorize the verse or I know it too well. And um, so this morning, I want to invite you to um, close your eyes, Uh, Take a deep breath, let it out, and now imagine that you are the psalmist, and this is your prayer. You're speaking to Almighty God. Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. That kind of knowledge is too much for me. It's so high above me that I can't reach it. Where, I could, where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand would guide me. Even there your strong hand would hold me tight. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me?
1: God of love, God of peace, we give thanks for your spirit and your presence that saturates our world and fills our lives. And we pray that through that spirit, we will hear your word for us today. Amen. So every fall, we celebrate the season of creation when we focus on how God is alive in the natural world around us. And I think we've been doing this for eight years at Urban Grace, about that. Uh, And for the last few years, uh, actually a couple of my friends who are pastors in Tacoma have done it in their churches. Uh, But one of those friends, my best friend Sarah, recently moved to a church in the South where she's going to start Season of Creation next week for the first time. And I'm really curious how it's going to go because she's no longer in the the crunchy Pacific Northwest where it feels natural to talk about how we're spiritually connected to the natural world that surrounds us. You know, she's in the South where everyone is super religious. And I was struck by that irony that it might be easier to talk about spirituality in one of the most secular places in America than it is in one of the most religious. But as we take a look at the shifting religious and spiritual landscape in America, it kind of makes sense. Because for decades, Americans have been leaving church, but they haven't actually been leaving spirituality. They haven't been leaving behind a connection to the divine. Every year, polling data comes out by the chair the Pew Charitable Trust, about religion in America. And as we can see here, religion is trending down. People who are engaged with religious institutions are far fewer than they were 10 years ago. But that line headed up are people who are spiritually engaged even though they are not religious. And there's almost no group or no growth among people who identify as not spiritual at all. So Americans are leaving behind religious institutions that tell us how to believe, that tell us how to behave, and shifting towards a lived spirituality that doesn't need the church. It's a spirituality that's often rooted in the divine presence alive in our world. It's a spirituality of that's connected to creation that actually is flourishing, as I mentioned, outside the church, but even inside the church. There are so many more resources for things like creation spirituality than there were 10 years ago. There's this hunger for how Christians particularly can encounter God in the natural world, but that is probably, that might be new to many of us because It's not likely we learned about that as kids. In Sunday school, we learned something that's actually quite different. You know, because since we're Christians, we believe in God. And God lives in heaven. Because, you know, heaven is God's home. And then we have... uh, Go forward. There we go. One more. Is that right? All right, I got my slides right. Yes, heaven is God's home, and then we have humans. That's those are humans. Those are like us, and yeah, those ones. And humans live on Earth. I'm glad that y'all are appreciating my artwork, um, and because that's because Earth is our home. And then, of course, we have Satan down in hell, right? We were taught. That this universe that our universe has three distinct realms that we actually we usually talk about them as being arranged vertically so we have heaven up on high then earth where we live and then hell down below this is part of why we look up to heaven as we pray asking God to come down to earth to intervene in our lives when kids are sick when we lose a job, when the election results in Georgia are announced, we pray that God would come down from heaven. And maybe God decides to show up in our world. Or maybe God stays up in heaven. In this, in this model of vertical theology, The the role of the church is all about those spaces between heaven and earth and the spaces between earth and hell. This is actually, to her great chagrin, if she ever saw this, this is based on the work of a sociologist of American religion, Diana Butler-Boss, if you can believe it. Um, and, And one of the favorite things that she says is that she's rather tongue-in-cheek about it as well, that religious institutions are like holy elevators, helping people to believe the right things and live the right way so they can go up instead of going down when they die. And yes, this is the silliest explanation of divine cosmology uh, that many of us were taught growing up, but it's, it's actually an accurate description of how I was taught to connect with God, like when I was a kid. And at some point, that means of connecting with God, calling God down, that spirituality couldn't really sustain my faith. And it it wasn't quite as simple as God failing to answer prayers. I mean, honestly, that was some of it. But it was more that I, I don't know, I became increasingly dispassionate or disillusioned about a God who helped some people and didn't help other people for reasons that none of us could ever know. But in the midst of my struggle to hang on to faith, I, well, I actually encountered a number of pastors who found God in the midst of the hell that we had created on earth. Folks like Dietrich Bonhoeffer or uh, Paul Tillich, who was a German pastor who ended up as a chaplain in World War I. But rather than spending his days praying like he expected, he spent his days digging graves. And in the trenches... He lost the ability to believe that that God was a particular being, that God was an object up in the sky that proclaimed peace from afar. He, He saw so much death and suffering that he just, he couldn't reconcile his life with that God up on high. But Tillich didn't lose his faith, Because he found God alongside him in the trenches. And this was really disorienting for a while until he came to the realization that that God is not a being. God is is the ground of all being. God's the spiritual presence that grounds us and connects us to all things. God is what animates our spiritual pursuit of all that is meaningful, just, and sacred. Like, God isn't apart from us. God is at the very core and ground of all that is. So, just more practically, he he realized that though his body would die and return to the dirt, that the ground and everything that came from the ground is drenched with the divine. And that shifted his spirituality, the way he prayed, because it was, his spirituality was no longer an attempt to escape the world, or an attempt to woo God into the world. His spirituality connected him to God, who was the ground all around us. And, and, he also like the way he described it was that christ's redeeming work brings us into communion with god and one another whose presence courses through creation and that's a little bit heady so i tried to have a a simple graphic for the more visually inclined um and and here we have like the three-tier universe where god is outside our world but comes into our world just in, in case it matters that's called theism classic theism uh, in theology. And then there's something called pantheism that basically says that God is creation, that everything we see is God. It's connected to a lot of, like, pagan spiritualities. But, But what Tillich and a lot of other Christians found in the scripture and in their lives was that God wasn't the same thing as creation but that God fills every inch of creation. And most versions of this, in case you want the name, are called panentheism, which means God all in. It's the idea that divinity and God's spirit permeates all creation, almost like the way that water saturates the ground when it rains. So so rather than looking up to heaven to find God, looked down to the ground, and all that comes from this creation that's drenched with the divine. And that way of thinking is what folks, as I said, inside and outside the church have found. But not only through disappointment or deconstruction, they found it through encountering God living in the world. Not only did we discover hell on earth, we also found heaven present in our midst. People have found, yeah, the natural world to be drenched with the divine. Like, if I were to just go around and ask, or somebody's asked you randomly how you experience God, I would guess a good number of us would say something about finding God in creation, out in the wilderness where we feel small, God's presence overwhelms us or perhaps we've found beauty and goodness and God's selfless love in folks that have no religious affiliation which I guess is a a big way of saying that the boundaries that we have put up around God are coming down and and I want to recognize that that's scary for the church because we kind of lost our corner on the market. Yeah, it, but for real, that's, that, that happened. We, we lost our corner on absolute truth. But what we gained was uh, being opened to a vibrant spirituality that can engage the whole world. A spirituality that next week we're going to talk about how this has actually always been a part of the Christian tradition. And it's a spirituality that's deeply biblical. There are a ton of scriptures about how God's presence and God's spirit fills all creation. And my favorite is Psalm 139 that we read today, or one of my favorites. It it describes how there is no place where God is absent in our world. And I chose it, even though it actually, if you were paying real close attention, it talks about going up to heaven and down to the grave or to Sheol, which does imply something like more of a 3 tier universe. And I picked it because I don't want to, like, pretend, pull one over on y'all. And I want to be clear, the Bible does not reject that 3 tier universe with heaven and hell as otherworldly realms. But that's not the dominant picture in the Scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. When, when the Bible talks about hell, It is almost always as a metaphor for turning away from God. And hell is often a metaphor describing the conditions we create on earth. But hell is very rarely described as an otherworldly place of punishment. The, The idea that hell is a place of punishment is actually the least common reference to hell in the Bible. And as we move on to heaven, we see some similar things. Heaven is introduced as a distant realm up there in early Judaism. However, the most vibrant and descriptive detailed description of heaven in the Hebrew Bible is in Isaiah 65, where actually heaven comes down to earth. And it's this vision of a future where all creation And all people lived together and and experienced salvation. And that shift away from sort of heaven up there happened in Judaism about 300 years before Jesus was born. So in the Gospels, heaven is usually a state of experiencing God on earth. We see this all over Matthew in how Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven on earth. We see it in John, who says that eternal life begins now. And Revelation actually concludes with a description of heaven coming down to earth and God dwelling with us because God's home is on earth. As, as, as a whole, as a grand narrative, the Bible is a story of divine nearness with god i mean god chose the name emmanuel god with us because god desires to be intimate with all people and all creation god isn't apart from us god's presence surrounds us connects us animates us in our spiritual pursuit of all that's meaningful and just and sacred God's at the very core of all that is. And that means that our spiritual pursuit of God can be as simple and as beautiful as waking up to God in our midst. Finding God alive in creation. And... And when I say that, finding God, the in creation, it's much more than like an intellectual affirmation of where God hangs out most of the time. Um, I'm referring to the spiritual connection to something greater than ourselves. Something beyond human creation. Beyond human control. Beyond human understanding. When... We accept, or when we realize, or we're struck with the reality that we are but one organism in, in an intricate web of creation, we, we can find reverence for God, whose spirit courses through creation. And, and by reverence, I mean a sense of our smallness and our limitations not because we're insignificant or because we're worthless, but, but because we're in the orbit of something awesome. The awe that comes over us when we witness the, the tender mystery of a newborn's instinct to, to squirm and crawl its way up its mother's torso and find her breast. The the awe that we experience standing underneath the three billion stars in our galaxy, that's one of trillions of galaxies in the universe that was once smaller than a single grain of sand before God called all things forth into being. God is is in is present in it all and if we can take the time to slow down and notice we have the opportunity to respond with reverence to be overcome with reverence to connect to god in this sacred and holy way and 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 that's not easy i mean like never ever have i thought oh cool that minute that meeting finished early i've got like 10 minutes why don't i spend that time encountering overwhelming beauty that alters my sense of self and reorients my relationship to the world it's not it's not something that we easily conjure up or it's not quite like just reading scripture or saying a quick prayer but we can develop practices that make us more reverent And connect us to God through the beauty and the majesty that's all around us. And we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit more next week. But today I want to use our reflection time and our prayer time to share one of these spiritual practices that can help us find reverence in God's creation. So Amanda is going to come up and play a little music. While I read a practice of reverence by uh, one of my favorite spiritual writers, Barbara Brown Taylor, from her book, An Altar in the World. So I'd encourage you to, if you want, close your eyes or just get comfortable as I kind of slowly guide us through this. of reverence is to simply sit down somewhere outside, preferably near a body of water, and pay attention for at least 20 minutes. It's not necessary to take on the whole world at first. Just take the three square feet of earth on which you are sitting and pay attention to everything that lives within that small estate. With any luck, you'll soon begin to see the souls in pebbles. small mounds of moss, and the acorn on its way to becoming an oak tree. You may feel some tenderness for the struggling mayfly the ants are carrying away. If you can see the water, you may take time to wonder where it comes from and where it's going. You may even feel the beating of your own heart, the miracle of ingenuity that does its work with no thought or instruction from you. did not make your heart any more than you made a tree. You are a guest here. You have been given a free pass to this modest domain and everything in it.